Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, winter at you some point. You can tell point, I'm excited. I can tell you're uh-huh. excited. I, I love to talk about what we're about to talk about. So what are we about to talk about? Braising. It's one of my favorite cooking methods. Braising. You say that suddenly. Braising. And it's the, the wine that goes thing. with braised dishes. Well, the question is, can you control how much wine is going with the cooking of the braised dish? Well... You mean drinking it? <laughs> yes, while you're cooking <laughs> yes. before you. I never drink when I'm cooking. Consuming. Okay, no. I don't. So you, yeah, no. That's your that's chef, for the cooking that. part. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's for the eating part. That's. I remember drinking. being a kid and watching the galloping gourmet. Oh well. And he would be rolling on some recipes, you know. Mm-hmm. But then the second half of those recipes were much more relaxed. <laughs> well. And I, I don't think his attitude was entirely misplaced. It should be. A joyful thing and a pleasurable thing and a zen thing and a therapeutic thing. And maybe at times he was over-therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that is the thing. When you're when you're braising something, it's going to take, unless you're doing, you know, something that isn't tough, it's going to take a couple of hours. The whole point of braising something is to break down connective tissue and tough pieces of meat. You know, it's, it's, it's a great way to feed a lot of people inexpensively, oftentimes. Um, and has been, you know, our cooking process for a very, very, very long time. So the the point is, our, our, our silliness aside, if you're going to choose to braise something, it's one of the most fantastic ways to get flavor in dishes. True. And to utilize some cuts of meat that maybe you don't always or wouldn't think of using. Something in, you can't in, throw in, on the grill or saute quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what you're talking about with the Zen thing. I mean, it's it's completely a process that, it's, because it's, it does it's your take. Day. Yeah, it's, it, it's well, it doesn't have to be your whole day, but it, you know, I often think of braising something on a Sunday for sure. I mean, it's not, it's not your, the kids have to, you know, do their homework yeah. and you just got home from work kind of meal. No, but, only, but it, it is if you made it the day before because all you yeah. have to do is heat it up. And that is the beauty of doing a braised dish is that it's better a day later as long as it's a meat. So you always not make if it's too seafood. much. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty much we're talking about meat dishes. I'm not going to, you know, they're really, you're really talking about, as we said, braising a tough piece of meat, whether it's, it's lamb, pork, or beef, or, or veal. veal. Yeah, veal. I mean, that's kind of. You I can was, do. You can do game. And I birds always think too. it was a it was a veal shoulder I did one Christmas, that was a, a popular dish that. You said veal shoulder. Veal shoulder. Yeah, that, that has such terrific flavor. So, what are some of the cuts that are favorite pieces for you for for veal for beef? Mm-hmm. For lamb, for mm-hmm. goat, for uh, poultry, for you know, like what? What are the what? Are, what's your top five list of things to braise? With beef, uh, my favorite is absolutely to braise beef short ribs, but those are not inexpensive. They used to be a long time ago, but unfortunately, they've become pretty popular. Um, so uh, short ribs are probably one of the most expensive things you could braise. But beef short ribs, um, beef top round beef uh, bottom round, uh, beef chuck. There's there's a cut called beef chuck flap that if you get it from really good beef, has terrific texture and it's a mm-hmm. lot like short rib, mm-hmm. but you don't have the advantage of braising on the bone like... Right. Well, and that's th- the that's thing. The thing you, you need to consider rib. that that more bone in a braising is going to give you more gelatin and more flavor in your sauce, which is 
you know, absolutely what you want. So this is the time to really use something that has some bones in it, but you don't have to. Um, with veal, uh, top round, um, with lamb, shanks. Shanks are one of the best things to braise. Cheeks, um, any cheeks, veal cheeks, any young animal cheeks, um, again, high in um, gelatin and uh, going to produce uh, a, a very good textured braised uh, and also an incredible sauce. You know, I think with uh, venison, you have to be a little bit careful because it's going to become very strongly flavored. Uh, well, it but, depends on the provenance of your wild, venison, too. Right. With Wilder Farm, you're going to have two totally different products, um, but you could braise pretty much any cut of, of venison, really. I w- obviously, I wouldn't do that to the tenderloin or the loin, but uh, any of the primal cuts. What you're avoiding are primal cuts of meat, and um, you're, you're going with subprime cuts, and um, that's... Really, you know, you can also, you know, we're talking about birds. Um, obviously, the whole chicken can be braised, but I would braise the legs, the wings, and the thighs. Um, but you can certainly braise coquevin is typically done with the entire chicken. Um, and that's a, and that, but that is, that's a classic version of something that has a ton of flavor. Mm-hmm. And the classic that you know that it's not the hen that's more tender. It's the it's the more muscular bird and the older bird, mm-hmm. the male. Or as we say, it's know. a spent. Bird. Yeah, it's, it's been running around the farmyard. Right. You know, th- that's it's tired. It's going to take a long time to cook it. Yeah. It's the and and you're braising it with wine, not just stock. So. Right. And we'll get into the we'll get into the details of mm-hmm. what are the steps of braising something, but mm-hmm. step one is what do you want to cook? Mm-hmm. Do do you allow the right amount of time, which is a, a significant amount of time, and you really kind of you have you want to say two to three hours. You know, that's you, your you, plan. You have to have preparation time. Preparation may be. Some butchering and some preparation of things you're braising with it, mm-hmm. but it also and it means having and you know if you want if you're going to braise with stock, it means having the stock ready to go. Right, and that's the first thing. You but, have to have a good. But stock. also maybe need marinating time for some things. Sure. And then the second step is the actual cooking, and that's, I mean, for bird, you know, for cocovan, how long are you talking about? To braise. Yeah. Two hours. And for say beef short ribs, three or hours. An entire veal shoulder is a couple of hours. Or if you're doing, uh, say, uh, lamb necks, that's really tough meat, but it has amazing gelatin and a lot, a lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. But that's you want a long time with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have a couple of things you have to think about. You have to have a good stock. I've, I just, just for fun, I looked at a couple of recipe books that I had just to see um, what people would say to do and to give instruction on braising. And a lot of them said to use canned chicken stock. I, I, I do not suggest. Oh. You, you you really need. These are bad people that write these books. You really need to make a good stock. If you're going to braise something, you need to make a good stock. And um, and you want one that's neutral. You do not want it to have garlic or, you know, you want a straight stock. So if it's if you're braising chicken, you want brown chicken bones, carrot, celery, onion, um, which is mirepoix, water, a little bay leaf, thyme, and peppercorn. That's it. And Does beef you, have you to be braised some, in beef stock or? No, you could. I would use veal stock or veal and chicken, which is what I use. Actually, I use a 60% veal bones and 40% chicken bones to make my stock. And I brown both bones and then add them together and then add what I just said, which was the mirepoix and the aromatics. Um, but the stock needs to be great and um, it should be uh, strained and um, degreased. So there should be no fat on the stock. And you can either do that by refrigerating it and just lifting the fat off the top or uh, just degreasing it with a ladle when it's hot. And the other thing, there's, like I said, there are a bunch of things you need to think about. Um, 
you do not want to cut the meat into any smaller pieces than you have to. You don't want to have any more surface on the meat than absolutely necessary. So you you at least need to have one inch pieces of meat, preferably larger than that. Um, And you need to consider that are you going to do it in the oven or are you going to do it on the stove? And that really kind of depends on your stove and if it has the ability to stay at a low simmer for a long time. A lot of the stoves now, if you try to put them, well, and and for years, if you try to put them on a really low flame, um, it will blow out and it won't stay lit. So you want to be at a very gentle simmer. That is part of the process. So if you do it in the oven, um, you're going to probably be in like a 225 degree oven and you need to know that your oven is actually at that temperature. So just put a thermometer in there and make sure it's accurate. And getting ready, and, and you buy the product, you have your ingredients ready for it. Mm-hmm. You need the vessel, and the vessel, it should be because one of the products is one of the things that's so important in the process is caramelizing whatever the product is in the pan. Right. You need a heavy bottom pan. That Absolutely, can, and that can take steel. a significant flame. Right. And it, yeah, it has to be a non-reactive pan, right. so it can't be aluminum. Right. Definitely. And and part of the process of browning the meat, this is, this is again, extremely important. Let's just say we're doing uh, beef top round because that's probably viable for most people to do. Um, when you cut your meat into the large pieces, you want to make sure the meat is dry before it goes into the pan. Um, preferably, you would saute the meat in a short-sided, sloped-sided pan, which is a saute pan, um, rather than doing them in the pan that you're actually braising in. This is this is my this is my suggestion to you. This is not the way you have to do it. You could do it in the pan that well, you're going to braise not in. Not everyone has a big heavy bottom roaster. Right, right. One important thing in caramelizing, which is your first step, you've got to caramelize the product. So it's beef top round that you're going to braise. And we can just go step by step through that and people will understand the process of that. So you want it to be a heavy bottom pan. Right. Whether it's shallow side or big heavy-duty roaster that doesn't have too high of a side because mm-hmm. you don't want steam, right? Right. Right. So what what you're doing is you're getting your pan hot. You have a neutral oil in there. Let's say it's corn oil or peanut oil or So pan hot first. Oil. Pan oil, nice and hot. Oil in second. Oil in second. Seasoned meat. And the meat is dry and ready to go. So if you need to pat it with a paper towel, you should. Um, so not seasoned. I do not season my meat. I do not. Um, I It goes in unseasoned. And it goes in without flour. I've read recipes where people will uh, no. So you go into the pan with dry meat, and you are uh, going into a pan with oil in it, just enough to coat the bottom of the pan, and you sear it nicely on both sides. And uh, that's where you start by searing. So it sears and, means it colors and it browns a little bit. Right, and you're producing color and flavor. And you want to brown all sides of the meat without any burning of the sides of the meat. Right. So you're not over. We were talking about not overcrowding the pan. The moment that you go to add the the meat, which is going to be either cold to room temperature, it's still going to be much colder than that extremely hot pan. You are going to immediately reduce the temperature of that pan by adding that meat to it. So. You don't want that to happen, but you have no choice, so you have to make sure you don't put too much meat in the pan, which is called overcrowding, because then the meat will either start to boil, which is the last thing you want to have happen, um, and it won't really brown nicely. Well, it's because the, because the pan doesn't recover, right? Exactly. It won't it's recover its the, heat quickly enough. The meat doesn't have meat for personal product. space. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like if, you make, if you're making iced tea with hot tea. If you only have three ice cubes, it just melts the ice cubes right away. 
and you got nothing, right? Mm-hmm. But if you got a if you got a glass completely loaded with ice, mm-hmm. you got a shot at having cold iced tea at some point. Right. So that's why we don't overcrowd the pan. Um, we want the heat to recover immediately as soon as possible so that you can beautifully brown both sides of that that meat. And then you want to get the meat out of the pan. So at this point, once it's browned on both sides and really pretty, um, just put it out onto a sheet pan or a cookie sheet or whatever, some sort of a pan where it can sit. And um, if you don't like the way the fat looks, knock it out, but it should be okay. Um, If you do need to replace the fat, just then add the fat back, get the pan hot again, and add your mirepoix or whatever it is that you're adding to your braised dish. So you have some flavor from the meat and the oil. Right. And then you add your, your, your mirepoix, your carrot, celery, onion, and then you brown that a little bit. A little bit. And then and then you can add the meat back to the pan, and then you can deglaze, um, which is why you really don't want to lose that fat from the original pan because there is a lot of flavor in that fat. But anyway, deglaze a pan. That means deglazing is the action of adding any liquid to a pan. So it could be water. It could be wine, whatever. In this case, most likely you're either going to add white wine or red wine. So your beef top browned. You, you're going to add Red what? wine. I'm going to add a little bit of red wine. How much is a little I bit? I would say probably a cup. If I was making short ribs for six people, I would I would add about a cup of red wine, maybe two, depending on how strong the wine so was. Beef, so a cup beef to, top two round cups is pretty wine. big. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a whole beef top round or like a two-pound piece? or uh, You want one pound of meat per two people, basically. So about, I would say three to you're four gonna lo- pounds. Because you're going to lose. For six people, three to four pounds of meat. You're going to lose a lot. Yeah, and that, and yeah, you're not using a whole beef top round for six people. And the thing would be to add that, I would say a cup to two cups of red wine. You're adding that. You're getting all the wonderful color and flavor off the bottom of that pan. Then you're adding your stock. Um, then you're adding any aromatics. In this case, again, I would suggest bay leaf, thyme, and peppercorn. But if you want to add rosemary or you know whatever, whatever you like, um, certainly if you want to add saffron to the dish, if you want to um, add some sort of chili pepper, whatever. So you you add um, your stock and your wine, and you want it to cover the meat by a couple of inches because you are going to lose some of that liquid. Um, it is going to evaporate, obviously, during the slow braise process, um, and you don't. You always want your meat to be covered. So once you've gone back into the pan, so you brown the you might brown the meat, pull it out, brown the mirepoix, stays in. lightly brown the mirepoix, lightly, yeah. The meat goes back in. So everything's kind of like in the same neighborhood, right, mm-hmm. as far as you, light, light brown mirepoix and relatively brown meat. Yeah. Still not seasoned. Right. Right. Then you then you deglaze with the wine. Right. And when you deglaze, is that, that's when you scrape the yeah, pan a little bit. scrape the bottom of the pan. And get the little brown bits yeah, of meat and If you have a wooden spoon, a flat-sided wooden spoon, that's perfect utensil for something like that. Scrape the bottom of the pan. Add your stock. Make sure it's well above the level of the meat. And now you're deciding if you're either going into the oven or if you're going uh, to leave it on the stove. Either way, it has to be um, below 160 degrees. It has to be a low, slow simmer. And you really, you, you really want to leave the lid on it. Um, we, we, at the restaurant, I will sometimes not cover it because I'm, I tend to be under more time pressure and it will and evaporate. Yeah. The sauce will evaporate quicker if I don't put a lid on it. So it's really up to you, but you've got to keep the right amount of liquid in there. You're going to end up having to, to reduce the stock, uh, the, the sauce the braising liquid, mm-hmm. you're going to have to end up reducing it separately from the meat at some point anyway, because it almost never is the right consistency uh, for a sauce when it's done braising. 
so you're making a decision about whether you're covering it or not, let's just say that you do. Um, I would keep it tipped off just a little bit. I would allow a little bit of evaporation to occur, so just keep it a tiny bit off to the side. And at this point, you're just going to let it slowly, slowly simmer and keep an eye on it. So you're going to spend the next couple of hours monitoring that level mm-hmm. and pretending to slowly sip the wine that you <laughs> have open. <laughs> when when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we'll complete the recipe with a top round um, and, and begin to turn it into other ways to braise other things. But this is an, it's an important process for comfort cooking for the wintertime. And we'll talk about wines that go with some of those dishes. All of that on more and a chef's challenge in the third segment on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we are mid-braise. Yes, <laughs> I just love it. So it's a, yeah, it's details on braising program today. You know, I was I was reading um, one of my favorite cookbooks by Edna Lewis. It's called In Pursuit of Flavor. And in the introduction, um, Alice Waters was talking about, they, they re-published re, uh, the book, and um, I think her forward might have been added. And she was talking about how Edna Lewis was was just so loved for her cooking because she loved cooking and she loved people and it just came out in her food and a lot of she was a great southern chef uh, her family was from uh, Freedom Town Virginia. it's nice when famous cooks are famous for caring about food and caring about people I, I love it I As love it she was caring an amazing, about their image <laughs> oh she was just she was such a, a generous person and um, I met her a couple of times, and they were just really great moments for me. And and you could feel her um, sort of peace, and just everything about her was just tremendous. But it was talking about how, you know, she was talking about someone buying a cake at the store and the difference between the love that goes into baking a cake for someone and the difference in how it tastes. And we all know this, but, I mean, you really should think about that. I mean, it's worth the effort to cook. It's worth it. Your family will love you for it, and it shows them that you love them. I mean, I do think that cooking is an act of love. That's a great I don't way want to of sound expressing caring. Goofy, question. but yeah, I mean, I just I think it's um, that that's that's why I mean we're talking about braising and What's you're it? saying oh it takes so much time and I'm like oh but the result no. is so yeah, tremendous but- and it's worth the effort and honestly I mean it's just gonna sit there on the stove while you're you know watching a movie or hanging playing a game with your kids or out in the yard or you know doing whatever it is that you do that's why I said I tend to think of braised dishes as the great Sunday dish in the winter time or if you have a snowstorm oh my gosh I mean to me that's like that's it I want a braised dish and potato puree <laughs> or potato potato, <laughs> or potato potato potato, or some kind of potato something, or potato potato potato, which yeah. comes back to the recipe that we were talking about. We're kind mm-hmm. of just walking you through. A, if you could have um, a license plate with a lot of letters, it would be potato potato potato. <laughs> uh, so okay. it's funny. I was thinking about you you're saying that. I mean, how many times do I see a dish coming in the window, and I'll stop the young cook, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, "Should I put this down in front of your mom?" Right, right. I mean, do you right. You know, is it is it seasoned? Did you rest right. it? Right. When you're cooking 65 you know, of something. Is it beautiful? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, because yeah. it, it's somebody's mom I'm going to serve this to. Right. And I really don't feel like someone throwing it at me. <laughs> well, 
I mean, yeah, no, but I mean your point I'm, I'm, I'm is, joking, but your point is, is did, did your, did did your thought and care go into this yeah, dish? Exactly. And that's the tr- that is the that is the challenge of being mm-hmm. in a restaurant cooking is that your thought and care needs to go into every single thing you do. Well, it doesn't have to be from the moment you walk into that kitchen until the moment you leave. Every, you don't have any fireworks coming out of the cake that you made. No, but you need to care about that cake that you just made. But if you actually thought about like and every step of it. Or, and the ingredients that you buy for it. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the... where it starts. My dad and I talked about that. When I first started cooking, he said, you know, one of the most, because my father was in the food business, and one of the most important things is the quality of product that you buy. I mean, that was the very first thing he taught me about business of what well, I was what are about the, to what get are the, What are the qualities that are important of the product that you buy? Are you spending unnecessarily for something that doesn't mean anything to somebody? Well, sure. Or, or are you spending for the things that actually count? And in, it's funny. One of the things I was thinking about, and just in preparing for this this program, in braised dishes, what you choose to cook, sometimes because it's an off cut or it's a non primal cut, you can you know you can braise you know Kobe beef chuck flap, and you know what, it's going to have really good flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, because sure. those cows have been taken care of the way they have. Sure. And it's and maybe it's you know that's way down the scale of what you buy, but. It may have fantastic does, yeah, flavor. No matter what you're doing with cooking, it is all about the quality of the food that you're putting. So, let me, let me take you back to the top round because right now mm-hmm. you got the top round in uh, in the, the brazing vessel, and you have the top on, but kind of slightly tilted off. Yeah, and you got you have it on the burner or in the oven or. I do it on the stovetop. I, I, so I you like got it down to have really easy. Low. Yeah, I like to have easy. That just access. means you need to have a really heavy duty. Yeah, and and you know if you're in the oven, you have to bend. You know you have to get in there. You have to pull the thing, and it, this could be heavy. This can be a well, see. And that's also for me. I'm used to doing this in a restaurant where I'm cooking. You know, fifty portions of something, so it's really heavy. So if you're only cooking for four people, you can easily do it in the oven. It's not going to be that heavy for you to pull the pan out of the oven. So the, I would do it on the stove, but you can do it either way. So I'm going to say mine is on the stove, and I'm going to check on it. And make sure that the liquid is where it needs to be. I am going to taste every time I hit that pan. I'm going to taste it. And the liquid is not boiling. No, no. It is on the slowest simmer. It needs to be gentle, 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 gentle. It's giving you a a, a bubble or two and a little steam. Yeah. Well, and I already said, I mean, if you're in the oven, you're at 225 degrees. I mean, that is very low oven. Yeah. Um, So, like I said, you please make sure that, that your oven actually is at 225 because you could be, you know, if your oven temperature is off, you could be like at 180 and you're going to be... You know, so, so not thanking me for anything because it's going to take five hours to pray. So make sure your oven temperature is right. So here's the terrible question. So how do you know it's done? Fork tender. But not overdone. Absolutely fork tender. And that's the big thing. You have to get the meat. You have to stop the cooking process when the meat is tender. You don't want to take it further than that because it's just going to continue to remove the well, natural juices from the meat. And, and you're going to lose. Yeah, it's it's and it's just going to lose all of its good flavor. I mean... You know, I've taken pieces of of meat to make a really good sauce and just, you know, reduced it, reduced it, reduced it for hours. And, I mean, that meat is, I mean, you can't even begin to eat that meat. You've taken everything from it. Afterwards, right. Everything is, all the goodness is removed. And one thing I want to make a very big point about is at the end of this cooking process that you cool that meat down in that braising liquid. You do not separate the meat from the braising liquid. That that meat, as it cools down, will begin to reabsorb all the flavor 
that it lost during that cooking process. So it will begin to reabsorb that braising liquid, and that's what's going to make your dish really, really good. And there's no reason to separate the two. No. But again, you know, in the restaurants, we have we have to deal with volume and all sorts of things, and we have to modify recipes. Um, but I would ne- even in the restaurant, I would never separate the meat from the the braising liquid. So you cool it down in that, and then um, you know, and you're going to taste it. I mean, at that point. That's that's the time for seasoning, right? Yes, and unless you have to reduce the sauce down. So that is, you know, I'm, now it's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm not. If you have to, to drain the meat from that sauce, cool it down first. And then take the meat. And then, right, let the meat cool down first. Then strain the sauce from the meat and reduce it down and then add it back. But you, but, you but really... Then, but, then, but then you would also season the meat yeah. then on its own. Sure. And when you reduce the sauce to where you want it, mm-hmm. you'd season that. Yeah, and then you check the and sauce. And finish that the way that you want it. Right. If you added salt to that sauce before you reduced it, you will be very, very sorry because then it will be oversalted. So, you know, just wait until it's it, – if the sauce has to reduce down, just make sure that you wait to season that with salt, I mean. So when you reduce the, the, the braising liquid for the top round, mm-hmm. at, this, at this point – so you have mirepoix that's pretty much disintegrated in there. That gets strained out. I would pull all that stuff out personally. So you would just strain all of that into another pot mm-hmm. and then bring that down to the volume level that you wanted. Mm-hmm. As you're bringing it down or when it was finishing coming down to the volume level that you wanted and the texture that you wanted and you began to season it, are there other things that you might do as an accent? Well, that's that's where I would probably... You know. Okay, first of all, let's backtrack because you don't have to strain that mirepoix out. If it's not a super long cook time, you th- that, that mirepoix can be quite delicious. You may leave it in. You just need to think about the size you cut it before you put it in. If you put tiny, tiny little pieces in, it's just going to disintegrate into your sauce because that's what will happen over the long cook time. So if you make it in a, a, a pretty large dice, it may live through that braising process. And that, like I said, that's that mirepoix, that carrot, celery, and onion is going to be delicious. Or maybe so, if you chose little pearl onions that actually hold integrity of shape. Mm-hmm. Or chipolini onions or something that might you can always that might work. and you can always add things to the braising process near the end. So let's say you want potatoes in there, which I love in my braised um, dishes. I would just add them, you know, for the last 25, 30 minutes of the braising time, which may be hard for someone that's never braised before to guess when is that time. And you're not talking about whole potatoes in twenty five or thirty minutes. No, you're talking I'm talking about, about a, like a, a like a quartered potato. Or, you know, not even a large dice. I'm talking about probably a quartered potato. You know, you want a pretty good-sized potato. I would put that in 30 minutes before the end. Like we said, you know, it depends on what how big the meat is and what the meat is, but you're somewhere between two and three hours on your braise. You probably, you know, can feel safe at two hours to put the potatoes in. Um, if you're doing lamb shank, it's going to be three hours. If you're going to do short ribs, it's going to be two and a half hours most likely. If you're doing coco vin, it's probably an hour and a half um, to two hours. So, and... Also, maybe you want mushrooms in there. So that's something I would probably add to the braising liquid when I'm reducing it down, not during the cooking process, because those will break down too quickly. So I would, I would, if I'm, you know, I've cooled down my meat and my braising liquid, now I'm ready to reduce it. I strain it out and I saute my mushrooms. Let's say they're they're button mushrooms, something common. Um, I would saute those, slice them or quarter them, depending on how big they are, saute them in butter until I've worked all the water content out, which frankly takes 15 to 20 minutes. So prepare yourself for that. And that should have salt on it. Um, Once they're uh, nice and caramelized, then you can add that to that that reducing braising liquid, which will be really pretty. That also may be the time that you add Cipollini onions or you add lardon or you add 
roasted peppers. Maybe you add poblano peppers. Maybe you're making a chicken dish and you want for that top round, poblanos I was just and cilantro in there. A little bit of Dijon mustard to, to finish that sauce. Well, oh, definitely. Be nice. But you can add that right at the end. You don't need to cook the Dijon down. Although know? I guess one of the classic ways of doing that is just to make a little, is just to literally paint the outside of the mm, meat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and like gra- a short rib in particular. Yeah, and put it on the broiler for a second. Yeah, yeah. Give it a little bread crumb. Yeah, just a little Dijon yeah, mustard good. directly on it, a little breadcrumb. And rabbit. We do that with rabbit too. Oh, yeah. it's so good. I love Dijon. That's a, well, that's a great Creamy classic Dijon. braised dish. And that's, that is not a long cooked braised dish. Mm-hmm. Lapin le moutard. Mm. You know, that, mm-hmm. you're talking 45 minutes, right. 50 minutes. Rabbit, tops. Uh, the birds, and, and yeah, and rabbit, pretty quick, much quicker. Uh, you, you'll, you might want to start with something like that and um, graduate to meat, beef, or lamb shanks, or whatever. And the Cocobin is a good starting place. Because it also doesn't. It's also inexpensive. It generally doesn't require. I mean, the this cocovin that you think of the Burgundian style cocovin, which is you know, in in red wine or half red wine, half stock usually, and then coco riesling, which you see in Alsace, oh, which which I love, love, love. So pretty, so perfumed, and and a little more delicate, and that's the one that with with the great mushroom garnish usually. Yeah, yeah. And the and the and the egg noodles that they make in Alsace, and and um, that that dish. I love, love, love that dish. That's and that's usually Riesling for braising, but also white chicken stock. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's white no, chicken there's, stock means you did not brown the bones. Right. That's the only difference. So there's no there's there's no color to that. So it's mm-hmm. it's a prettier, paler sort of thing. But that's that's a fantastic treat. I I I could make the Riesling one right now. I actually think I prefer the one with Riesling to Cocoma sometimes because it's just it is it's so pretty. You could make rice with raisins in it, maybe raisins and almonds to garnish that. I mean that's not traditional just, by funny. any I just, means but I just want the egg noodles. You know that's Oh god, I love egg noodles. It's funny those the egg noodles <laughs> that they make, you know. <laughs> I that's, love, that's my German upbringing. I love uh, egg noodles. Mm. But that's Yum yum. It's funny you you see you see versions of beef bourguignon with those Alsatians type noodles, but yeah, yeah. it's not, they're not, they're, it's funny. Well, they get lost in there. I mean, I'm sure it's delicious, but. Burgundians have talent for many things, but noodles to me is not <laughs> one of them. And the Alsatians, you know. Yeah, you know, they used they, to be mm, German. Well, right? yeah, that's <laughs> middle European, you know, that's, <laughs> yes. that's, that's, that's noodle country starts there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the, the wine that goes with the dishes, the wines that goes with the dishes, usually if it's, the, the deeper, the stronger the product. I mean, that's and if there's an inspiration geographically for something, let's say it's that beef top round, it's very easy to find. You know, and, and if you're going to do the accent with a little bit of mustard in the sauce, like I was talking about, mm-hmm. or you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, you you name the the lamb dish, the beef with a little mustard in the accent. That's you want something a little bit more juicy, and there's not that much fat in the dish. That's the trick, is balancing the the dish with the wine. And immediately you think, oh, this is hearty. This is big. I need a big, giant wine. And you don't always. You often need something that's a little more juicy than it is giant and tannic. Okay. It depends on the fat in the dish. And if the dish is relatively lean, and a lot of these cuts are lean, but intense in flavor, what you want is something that has maybe some tannin because you're going to have fatty accompaniments. But what you need is an intensity. You need some acidity to clean it off your palate. You know, I always think of brazatos in, in Italy and how great that can be with a Barbaresco or a Troldo Rotiliano from, you know, from north of Verona, from Trentino, that kind of area. Um, in, in the Dolomites, the Lagrines that are there are more tannic, but it's, 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 it's more just like straight acid grippy and it's less, you know, like 
big, dense, punchy tannins. And with bourguignon, what what burgundy would you suggest? I, I mean, because a classic garnish for bourguignon is bacon, onion, and mushrooms. But they always use they always use simple wines. I mean, it's usually mm-hmm. village wines, and it's something something with some corpulence to it. But it's Pinot Noir, so it's kind of like fat, spicy Pinot Noir with some tannin to it. So Gevrey Chambertin, Pomar are are naturals. Mm. You don't have to spend as much money as those Talking famous villages, language. though. Woo-hoo. You know, you look for Rouilly, R U L L Y. Okay. Um, in a good vintage like twelve, which make pretty big punchy wines. Wines from Rouilly can be very good. Mercure, same thing. I, think about those. The, the rabbit, the Lapin Le Moutard that we mm-hmm. talked about, mm-hmm. that's great, uh, believe it or not, with uh, Sancerre, really good Sancerre, or Sancerre Rouge, which is really pretty Pinot, but with that minerality that you get in uh, Sancerre that's that chalk. Uh, Coca Riesling is the easiest one in the world. Just very good dry Alsace Riesling. Okay. Um, if you really want it crazy bone dry, look at the Austrians. Um, that will serve just as well. Look for wines from the Wachau, W-A-C-H-A-U, or Wagram, which are not quite as intense or as expensive, W-A-G-R-A-M. Um, but those are those are good places to go. I'm trying to think of things you love, like lamb shank. That's more power, more and spice. And that has more fat. And that has more fat. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's I always want either a wine from southwest France or, or a, like a mountain wine from southern Italy. So... Mm. Um, think of uh, like a, a not a big piece of money, but terrific flavor uh, from Montpeyrou in the Languedoc. Uh, Domaine Dopiac makes terrific wine. That's a blend of uh, Grenache and Carignan, Syrah, and it's sort of that you know the, almost like just north of the Mediterranean cocktail you get in the south of France, but from a good terroir. Um, wines from Chido, um, the, the grape that's famous there, Galliopo, um, is fine, but Maybe look to, uh, if it's really big, go to Alianico, whether it's from Voltore in northern Calabria or from, uh, or from Campania, from uh, Irpina is another good place to go. Uh, Galliopo that's from the southern coast, Nachiro in Calabria would be my pet, a little bit bigger, riper, spicier. But those are, those are ideas. But it's, don't crush yourself with tannin. And and I did even name a few things that are white wines that work with some braised dishes. You have to do the right dish, though. So when we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine, a little bit of a wrap-up on uh, braised dishes, brazati, <laughs> and uh, and uh, chef challenge. That should be more fun for some of us and <laughs> less fun for well, others. Now we know which one of us it <laughs> won't be any fun for. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. All, all of that and all of that <laughs> and more on Formula Wolf on food and wine on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Tony, we were, you were just telling uh, about what wines would go with the different dishes. And we were saying how a lot of the beef would be lean. Short ribs are definitely not lean. That's that's the pretty fatty one. So what yeah. would you suggest red wine-wise for that in particular? You can do a little more power there. I mean, that's an easy uh, Chateauneuf de Pop from a big vintage. is kind of natural for that. I still like more acid, so you want a year with... Because I still think you have to cut into that sauce because that sauce is, when you reduce those braising liquids into a sauce, 
Yeah, that viscosity. Just, yeah, you, you need some asset. Um, Bordeaux can do well. Um, I don't think you need to spend on the the biggest and craziest Bordeaux. Look for appellations like the Cote de Blay maybe in a good year. If you can find some of the off appellations in 2009 and some in 10, uh, like Montagne Saint-Million or Cote de Blay or Cote de Bourg, um, those those estates in those areas, or Cote de Castillon, it's an easy pet, and Cote de Castillon drinks early. Most of these are Merlot-dominated wines that are big body, but they have decent freshness and good and, and good acid and, and, and reasonable tannin. I want to step back one second and talk about the stock. If you are doing something very different from doing a cut of meat, um, is to do the rabbit. And if you really want to have a wonderful rabbit flavor, you need to introduce rabbit bones into your stock, uh, which means that you're going to get the rabbit in the day before. So you run like a double stock? Yeah. And I, that's what I would do. I would have my chicken stock ready to go, chicken and veal stock preferably, ready to go. And then I would break down my rabbits. And um, you're going to leave the, the foreleg and the hind leg on the bone. There's no reason to break that down. You're going to cut the loin off the back and take any of the belly flap and any of the te- – the, the tender is so tiny. It's like half the size of your pinky. But, you know, take any meat you can off the off the uh, carcass and then brown those bones. Break the bones up, which are easy because they're so delicate. So you can use a um, cleaver to break them up and um, brown those and then add that to your chicken or veal stock and bring it down a little bit. And I would cook it for probably – I would simmer it on low for probably about an hour and a half, at least maybe two hours, just to impart some of that flavor. So I think that's something to also contemplate with whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, If you're braising duck legs, I would do the same thing. Uh, If, if, you know, it would be great to have, although you can just buy duck legs, but if you wanted to buy a whole duck, you could, you know, serve the breasts for dinner the night that you're running your stock and um, enjoy the breasts. And meanwhile, you've got, you know, uh, the duck carcass brown bones to add to your, to fortify your stock, and then the next day you braise the legs. There you yeah, go. I like the I like the double stock idea, especially oh, for a bird. It's the best way to really get you a, a to, nice pretty to, stock to, to deepen that flavor. Yeah, well, because you can't make stock just from duck bones or rabbit bones. I mean, you're not there's not enough gelatin. The bones are so tiny, particularly rabbit. So you start with um, the base and you, you just need, run it. Yeah, a and veal time. bones, veal leg bones are what you want uh, that are have been cut uh, up for you. Um, veal egg bones so that you can expose the, um, you know, and get the gelatin, uh, the marrow, and, and get the gelatin out of the bones to create viscosity in your stock. You ready to do a chef's challenge? Sure. Are you sure? sure? Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. <laughs> like, I'm ready. Just as long as it's not a tailgate with hot dogs like the last oh, one. Oh, you love uh-huh. that one. Yeah, I'm giving you yours you first. You love hot dogs. You, you said, go first, Tony. You said. There you go. You know, you, you always there say you it, go, like kid. German family. <laughs> oh, Thanks, on. kid. <laughs> there you go, kid. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, some kid. All right, let's see. You've given me, you're so nice. Mm-hmm. Lamb shank, carrot, celery, onion, parsnips, bacon, lamb and veal stock, bay leaf, rosemary, tomato paste, potato, skate, grits, flour, extra virgin olive oil, French bread, and black winter truffle. So it kind of went off the grid near the end of that list. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that, what's <laughs> That's your, good, though. It's honestly, you, you've given me three nice courses. Mm-hmm. So the French bread, um, is it reasonable to presume that I have good butter somewhere? Sure, of course. Um, the French bread, I would saute fat slices of French bread in really good butter until it browns evenly and nicely in the pan. And while they're warm, I would cut 
relatively thick slices of the black truffle and there you go. Cover the That's a good start. Cover that warm <laughs> you know, crostini. Yes. Cover that warm crostini with that crunchy truffle and put a few grains of uh, crunchy sea salt on that. Mm-hmm. And good Lord, That's I, hope, a nice I, I hope I've got wine. All this food is great, but if I have no wine, I'm oh, dead. Oh, you, you have wine. You have your cellar, so you can tell oh, us what you cellar. would have with it. Mm. Um, honestly, maybe a, a mature, really top-notch Chablis might be fantastic for the first uh, for the first dishes. Maybe Ravenel, because I like myself, and it's <laughs> <laughs> and it's available. <laughs> Uh, maybe one of the 2006. Uh, let's make it a Grand Cru for the heck of it, you know? There you go. Why not? Um, the skate, what I want to do with the skate is also, I want to cut that into into reasonable pieces, uh, maybe like three-ounce pieces, and make a first course. I'm going br- to just dust it in the flour, um, salt it well. Um, the grits, I'm going to have to cook with milk. The, the, sk- the grits I just want set up so that I can have that skate, like literally pan-fried, Lightly dusted in whole butter and a little fresh lemon that I wish I had around. You have. You have. And a little fresh lemon and on the grits and forget about it. What else would you want? Hmm. You know, that and another glass of Chablis. Those are those are two high-quality snacks right there. Or one's a first course, a fish course. And then I'll need those because I've got a long time to braise lamb shanks. So using the method we've been talking about, the... Uh, Honestly, and I've got bacon, too. I want bacon for a garnish, but I might want to render a little bit of bacon fat and brown the lamb shanks in a little bit of the bacon fat as well as oil. Um, and I have to get that bacon fat really clear. If you don't have it really clear, then you get little burnt pieces and kind of screws up the flavor of things. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a while to brown the lamb shanks to get all the surfaces nice and brown. It does take a while. And it sort of spits on you. And that's something I will... I that's will, another thing people need to think about when they are browning, especially big pieces of meat like that. I will admit, bigger pieces like that, one one place where I'll break with you a little bit is something like that I would have out at room temperature for a little bit, and I would rub it down with a little bit of salt to make it actually drier going in the pan, and go in the pan with that. Um, and I would still reserve some of that bacon for, uh, for, for garnish later on, and... Go in the pan with the the shanks once they're browned. Uh, add that mirepoix. The shanks are so big that I don't know that I'd have to remove them so much. It's not like smaller pieces of cut meat. Um, the parsnips might be nice to add later on. Parsnips and and honestly the bacon. I might cook those as lardons, a little bit bigger, and they end up being a little bit chewier. But and add those as a garnish in the last moment. And uh, what I want is reduce everything down. It's lamb and veal stock. I guess I need some red wine that I'm going to serve with uh, maybe one of Molitieri's great wines or some big, vigorous uh, beast from the south of Italy. Yeah, Molitieri would be great with lamb shank. Yeah. His wines would love that. But He got, would love the I've dish. Got, yeah, we got th- <laughs> I've got three hours to play around and try not to get too drunk on the Chablis <laughs> before I get to this. So it's good that there's starch on the, uh, on the skate course. And with a truffle, kind of keep me going. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a couple of hours, so you monitor the sh- lamb shank, you watch The Godfather, <laughs> you know. <laughs> By the time The Godfather's done, Hopefully your lamb shank should be done. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is yeah, this is very nice. All right. Here is your... <clears throat> here is yours. And this is slightly more random. Okay. 
Okay, chickpeas, squid ink, potatoes, bay scallops, squid, chilies, um, pistachio, feta cheese, day-old pugliese, chicken legs, blood oranges, wow, garlic, onions, fresh marjoram. Mm-hmm. Pugliese, you know, that old, that, that, mm-hmm. that crunchy uh, mm-hmm. bread from the south. Okay. Well, the bay scallops are going to be the appetizer course, and um, actually... No, I'm going to make a salad. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So uh, you have the blood oranges and garlic. It is. And feta cheese and pistachios. And I have never worked with, um, how do you say it? Quinoa? Quinoa. Quinoa. (laughs) Quinoa. Sorry, folks. Uh, That's not my bag, baby. So I'm just not going to use that. Cook it like couscous. I don't care, Tony. Cook it like couscous. Um, And the fresh chilies are also going to go in that salad, and there's got to be some lettuce somewhere, but you didn't give me any. So, um, and you know what? While it's I'm at it, those chicken, no those, ch- those chicken legs, I'm going to braise the chicken legs. I'm going to braise them very gently um, in just a little bit of mirepoix, and I'm going to use your Riesling idea and um, chicken stock. I'm going to braise them, and I'm going to pull the meat off, and I'm, that's going to be part of my salad. So Maybe, maybe you have falangina around instead of Riesling. Yeah, maybe I do. So the blood oranges <laughs> I'm going to make supremes with, which is when you cut off the exterior of the orange, including the pith, and you cut into the center of the orange, so you're left with a clean section. So blood oranges, uh, supremed, and then the picked meat from the chicken legs, which I am definitely going to add salt, pepper, and a little bit of extra virgin olive oil to. I'm, I'm also going to take your bread and dice it, but I'm not going to saute it. I'm going to do it in a large dice. So um, that's going to absorb the dressing, the feta cheese will be crumbled in. The pistachios will be broken up and crumbled in. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll toast those first in the pan to work the oils in them and then just crush them lightly and, um, and add the chilies. Um, and that's going to be pretty fun. So that's that. And then I have squid ink and base scallops. So with the squid, I'm going to clean it and um, slice it thin and leave the tentacles as they are. Make sure um, it's called the beak. You want to make sure that you remove that. It's a little hard to describe on the radio, but um, you want to make sure that that's removed. It's not good to eat. I'm going to cook, do a small dice of the potatoes in salted water, um, boil them, and what else do I have left? I have garlic. and I, So I'm going to saute the squid, the uh, squid and the base scallops. So what I need to do is have a very hot pan. I'm going to sear those bay scallops, and right at the very end, I'm going to add the potatoes. I'm going to throw in whole pieces of marjoram. Um, I'm going to add a little bit of small dice of onion to the pan. I'm going to have butter poached garlic on the side. That will go in at the very end uh, with the squid. Actually, the squid will only take about 30 seconds to cook. So I'll add the squid, then I'll add the garlic, and... um, I'm going to put just a tiny bit of squid ink in the pan at the very end, almost sort of to coat, uh, which will the potatoes will absorb it. So that ought to be kind of interesting. Um, and uh, I think I have everything. And salt and pepper. Oh, chickpeas. I forgot about the chickpeas. The chickpeas I'll cook in light chicken stock, and I will make a soup with that. And I will reserve some of the chilies for that because the chickpeas would like that chili. Yeah, the chilies like a spice. very, very much. Right. And I'll just make a very simple soup with the onion, the garlic, some of the leftover onion, garlic, um, chickpeas, and the uh, <clears throat> chilies. It's a good adaptation. Okay, there we go. 
I just wanted you to give you a, a list of unusual things. I give you random stuff to play with. I did ignore your one product, uh, the, the quinoa. Quinoa. Yeah, the one thing I admit is that I, I might have <laughs> quinoa. I'm, I'm <laughs> since, since you essentially cooked that a bit like couscous, I might have cooked that and finished it with the squid ink. Uh huh. Okay. And Instead you, of the and, potatoes, and use that for a, and and I maybe mm. ask for the base scallops to be in the gosh, shell. I love base scallops. I was thinking like a, oh my gosh, a quinoa, so a quinoa salad with with the chilies. Yeah. And, so now we're getting your answer to my the, chef's yeah, challenge. The <laughs> because I know your answer to yours. Come on now. You always write these things for yourself, right? Uh, yes. I wrote I, this for I, me. You definitely wrote that for you. You did not write that for me. <laughs> no, I was like, I was that's in Sardinia on lockdown for that <laughs> one. Are you fine. kidding me? And if that's all we have time for on Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine, I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. If you want to download this program or any one of our other podcasts, please go to the WYPR website, WYPR.org. Look on the Foreman Wolf page. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Wolf and on Twitter at Chef Cindy Wolf. And any questions or comments, you can email us, foremanwolf at wypr.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day. 